can be seated. Can we give God praise? That was some awesome worship. And choir, I'm not counting you out of that. That was awesome as well. That was a blessing. Thank you so much. Um, How's everyone doing? Good, good. Somewhat good, right? How are we doing? Good. Amen. Amen. Well, um, hello. If you're visiting, my name is Brian. I am the community pastor here, and I have the privilege of giving God's word this morning. Um, I pray that you got some notes when you came in. If not, um, some things will be on the screen. You'll be able to follow along. Um, But um, as I mentioned earlier, we're in Nehemiah chapter 10 today. Nehemiah chapter 10, continuing in this sermon series. And um, while you're turning there, uh, I always like to to start with a little bit of an introduction. I, I remember... Um, clear as day, and I should because it was only nine years ago almost, but on December 12th of 2009, uh, I stood uh, at the, the top of the, uh, right at the bottom, excuse me, of some stairs, and I watched in the back as uh, my beautiful bride walked through the doors, and she started to come down the aisle, and uh, in, in that moment, I felt a, a rush of emotion. Um, I was like, oh man, here we go, and then I was like, oh man, I don't have any money. And I had a rush of other, a rush of other thoughts. How are we going to do this? How are we going to make this? How are this? And then I remember in that moment, as she got there at the at the steps, and we turned and we walked up the steps. I remember in that moment, just feeling the peace of God come over me, because what we were doing in that moment were was we were coveting together to our heavenly Father in the marriage that we were about to embark on. And through that time and the many blessings we've seen God give us over those, over those years, it's, it's truly been a blast. There's been, there's been ups and downs along our journey, um, but God has been good through it all. And I reference that, thinking about that, because many of us in this room have had those same feelings. We've, we've experienced that. Some of us not yet. Some of us are about to. Um, but uh, um, that, that moment of that when we're coveting before God to come into a relationship together. For those of us that are in Christ, we, we came into a relationship with God and we've, we've covenanted to God that we're going to serve Him with our life because He saved us because of giving up His and His blood that was shed for us. So I, I think about that, that idea today as we're looking at this passage in Nehemiah 10 because what we've seen thus far along this journey is... Um, last week, Pastor Troy brought a powerful message out of Nehemiah 9, and we see how the people had repented. The Word of God was proclaimed in, in chapter 8, and, here in chapter, and then in chapter 9, the people repented of their sin. And then here in chapter 10 today, we're seeing a covenant being signed and covenanting to God between the people of Israel and Him that they were going to glorify Him and serve Him in their lives. I think about, um, we, we've referenced it time and time again so far through this series, the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah go hand in hand together. Um, and I, I've looked in my studies again and, and just seeing how God has laid it out. You know, in Ezra chapter 1 through 6, if you go through and read there, we see the rebuilding of the temple. And then in Nehemiah 1 through 6, we, we see the rebuilding of the wall. But a common theme is there as well in Ezra 7 through 10 and what we're currently going through in Nehemiah with 7 through 13 as the people, if you will, are being rebuilt. We're seeing a repentance. We're seeing God work in them and they're covenanting together uh, to do a powerful work. So this morning, I've entitled this sermon, uh, The Covenant 
and the church. Because as a body of believers here at Holmes Avenue, uh, we come together and we, we do so for the purpose of glorifying God together on the mission that he's called us to. We talk about the mission a lot. We talk about glorifying God and making disciples. And that's the mission that God has called us to here. That's the mission that he has placed uh, on the leadership of this church to, to give to the congregation and the congregation to, to say yes in agreement and to move forward in that to bring God glory. So with that said, um, it, it is a, a little bit longer, but if you would, let's please stand as we honor the reading of God's word here this morning. Nehemiah chapter 10, starting at verse 1. On the seals are the names of Nehemiah the governor, the son of Hakaliah, Zedekiah, Zariah, Azarijah, Jeremiah, Pasher, Amariah, Malachi, Hatush, Shebaniah, Malak, Haram, Merimoth, Obadiah, Daniel, Genethon, Baruch, Meshulam, Abijah, Majamin, Messiah, Bilgai, Shemaiah, these are the priests. And the Levites, Jeshua, the son of Azaniah, Benui, of the son of Henadad, Kadamile, and their brothers, Shebaniah, Hodiah, Kalida, Peliah, Hanan, Micah, Roha, Rahab, excuse me, Heshabiah, Zakur, Jerabiah, Shebaniah, Hodiah, Benai, Benua, Beninu. The chiefs of the people, Parash, Pahath Moab, Elam, Zatu, Benai, Bani, Asgad, Babai, Adonijah, Bigvi, Adin, Ater, Hezekiah, Azur, Hodiah, Hesham, Beziah, Harav, Ananoth, Nabai, Magbash, Meshulam, Hazur, Mezibabel, Zadok, Jadua, Pelatiah, Hanan, Ananiah, Hoshea, Hananiah, Hashem, Helahish, Pilha, Shobek, Rahum, Heshabinah, Messiah, Ahim, Hanan, Hanan, excuse me, Anan, Malachim, Hiram, Benah. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the people of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our God, and his rules and his statutes. We will not give our daughters to the people of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. We will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of the shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel. And for all the work of the house of our God, we the priests, the Levites, the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God, according to our Father's houses at times appointed, year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. 
We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruit of our ground and the first fruit of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God, to the priest who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of the sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the first of every tree, the wine and the oil to the priest, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. And the priests, the sons of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. And may God add his blessings to read of his word. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you so much for this time of worship that we've had here today, of the singing, the crying out to you in worship. I thank you for that, God. And Father, as we now move into this time continuing in worship, Lord, looking at your word, your divinely inspired word, God, that you speak to us, I pray, Lord, that you do just that, that you just use me as a vessel, Lord, to speak to these people. Lord, let things of myself fade away from this, and you alone speak here in this place. Lord, I pray for distractions to fade away so that we can hear from you today. Lord, I pray, God, if there are things that are on our hearts, Lord, that you are pressing us towards, God, that we will move forward in them. If there are things that you're pressing on our hearts, Lord, that we need to repent of, that we would do it. Lord, whatever it is, have your way here in this place today. Father, I lift up our brothers and sisters right here in our community, doing the same thing for our brothers and sisters in these congregations. Be with the man of God in their pulpit now as they're speaking and proclaiming your word. Be glorified in this place, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Looking at this passage, there are four things that I think we can see from this today. Four different things. Uh, but, but first and foremost, these exiles that have come, uh, they've come to sign this covenant between them and God. And this covenant is an incredible example to each of us here today. You see, in this chapter... It's going to show us how to apply the truth of God's word to our lives daily and how we can live that out. And so with that said, um, just as an, uh, as an overhead thing to kind of use to go into each of these points, we must apply and be devoted to God's word to our lives. And true application, number one, starts with the leadership, starts with the leadership. You'll notice in verse one where all of these names are, are, have been written down. And as Pastor Troy uh, mentioned to us, I believe it was in chapter 7, uh, when he's reading through those names, those names are important. God has placed those names in his word for us. And so these, these names that, that I read just a moment ago, they're very important. These are the leaders of the people. And you'll, nerd, you'll notice, first and foremost, who's the first name listed there? It's Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the first name listed. It says, On the seals are the names of Nehemiah the governor and the son of Hakaliah Zedekiah. And so Nehemiah is the governor. He's serving in that regard. Now, in the Hebrew language, there's, there's a conjunction there. Our English doesn't show it there. But it says, when you read verse 1 in the Hebrew, where it says, The son of Hakaliah, there should be an and there for Zedekiah. And that's to mean that conjunction shows that these two are, are men that are in civil power. They are leading these people. I just think it's so profound that God 
would call Nehemiah for this purpose, as we read way back in chapter 1. And here we go through all the rebuilding of the walls, all the, the, um, the, the obligation, or not obligation, the, the, the people coming against him, the opposition that he faced to get through the process even up to now. The word is read in chapter 8 and proclaimed. The people repent. God has brought him here and he is the first to sign. He's the first name listed in God's word for us. That's a sign of true leadership in, 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 to the people. And then we have the names of all the others that are listed there. We see in verses 2 through 8, there are 21 different priestly names that are listed there. And then 15 of those names are representative of families. Now you'll notice when you read through there, I mentioned that Ezra and Nehemiah, both of these books are going through about the same period of time, a little bit delayed as Nehemiah. And you can read through these things, and Ezra is mentioned in Nehemiah. And you might say, well, why is Ezra's name not listed here in these first 27 verses? Well, it, most scholars believe it's because he's a member of the family of Sariah. And then also Elishib, the high priest, the name isn't mentioned because his family is represented as well. And so those names are not there. I just want to point that out as just a little trivia note for you to keep in mind. But we see after Nehemiah and Zedekiah are mentioned, there are 21 different priestly names listed. And then 9 through 12, there's 17 Levitical names that are listed. Verses 14 through 27 then, we see that these are leaders of the people and they're mostly family representatives. So all 27 of these verses are there for us and we can read through there and we might trip over words. Thank God that even though we might trip over the reading of it, he can still use it for us and we can see it. But we see these different names and they all are significant. These are leaders that established carrying through with signing this covenant to God. How does that apply to us today? For the sake of time, I'm not going to read through those things again because I I usually like to read through each one, but I I want to just point out the fact today that God in His sovereignty at this moment in time here at Holmes Avenue Baptist Church and at all churches across the globe, God has called men and, and, and ladies as well to stand alongside as leaders in the church. Here at, here at Holmes Avenue, God has called Pastor Troy as our leader, as our pastor. And I have the privilege of serving alongside of him and being one of your pastors. But here at, at our church, God has called us here to lead this congregation. And thank God I get the opportunity to learn under him. I'm not doing this to boast you up, brother, to, to give you a big ego, but God has blessed us, folks. He's blessed us with a man that has surrendered his life to him and to lead us. And as leaders in this church, we are called by God to, to, to set vision and cast it and tell you this is where God is leading us. And as members of the congregation, we are to submit to that and move forward in that. These people, as we're going to see in 28 and following, they follow the leading of these people. God called them to do this. They signed this covenant, and then we see what happens after that. If, if we are members of this body of believers here at Holmes Avenue, we, we come alongside and we say we are in with the mission here, then if what God has called us to do, let's follow that lead. Even as one of your pastors, I still have to submit to the leadership of this man. I still have to submit to his leadership and ultimately submit to God's leadership. So as we are continuing to move forward in the mission to reach this community with the gospel... And we stand before him and we say, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. Let's reach this community for Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we should say, I'm in, let's do this. We should be on our face daily praying to God for our leaders, 
for our church, and that God would continue to move us forward to bring Him glory. Not to bring ourselves glory, but to bring Him glory so that we would follow after. Nehemiah starts this. And all the people have been following him up to this point and continue to. Also, true application of following God's word starts when we understand and obey. The second point, we understand and we obey. Look at verse 28. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the people of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, and all have knowledge and understanding. 29. Join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our God, and His rules and His statutes. You see, 28 is where the people then are mentioned and what they're going to do after that. Now you see in 29 where it says there's a curse and an oath. The oath is the covenant to God. Lord, we are coveting that we are going to follow you. We're going to follow this Mosaic law that you established way back with your servant Moses. We are going to glorify you. We're going to keep pressing forward to keep worshiping you. We're going to keep doing this. But as part of 28 shows, I just want to mention this because I thought this was so profound. Look at the last part of 28. And all who have knowledge and understanding. Now, it mentions right before that the sons and daughters are also mentioned. But this even means any, any child that was able to comprehend and understand what was happening, they were in on it too. Like, younger people were involved in this as well. It just it, it makes me think about what is happening right now, back there in that back. I, I have the privilege of my daughter being able to, to be a part of this children's ministry and see her come home and quote Scripture. Hope has done the same. And, and what God is doing back there right now, through the teaching of Ms. Trisha and the volunteers, is so glorifying to God. And we're seeing these young children know more about Jesus and grow in their knowledge and understanding of Jesus. And man, I've seen times where I've seen a little kid, man, they shoot out the gospel to you. We, I've seen children, eight or nine years old, running through school telling all their friends about Jesus. And I see here in this passage... All these people are, are listed as saying all these things, and then it says their sons, their daughters, and all who have knowledge and understanding. Don't count the kids out. Because, man, God can do some powerful things through a child. This is a covenant between the people and God. Covenant agreements, especially in the ancient times, between kings and nations, a lot of times it came with an oath, and then it came with a curse. Because if you didn't do it, and you didn't follow through the oath, there was going to be some bad news to pay. You had to pay the piper, if you will. You see, in this term, with what we're seeing here, these people are called to keep this covenant with God. They're called to keep this oath. And this community pledged to follow God and knew that a curse would come about if they broke the covenant. Deuteronomy 27, 15-26 says, Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of craftsmen, and set it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father and mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. There was a curse. If you did not keep this oath to God, there was a curse. You would have to pay for your sin. 
Now, you might be sitting there today and say, well, Brian, wait a minute now. I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. I am saved. And yes, I would agree with you. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. The curse of the law has been broken by the grace of God. It was poured out on the cross with Jesus' blood. We have been saved by that grace for those of us who proclaim Christ as Lord. And so because we have been saved by that grace, we don't see the effects, if you will, of this curse. Because we've been saved. We know that the curse for those who don't proclaim Christ is eternal damnation from God. We know that from God's Word. It tells us that. You might say, well, Brian, I I just don't see how if we don't keep an oath to God, how we're still going to be punished. I've just told you the grace of God is poured out for us because of what Christ did. However... There are still things that we have to pay for our sin. There are times when we sin against God, we sin in our life, we're not being obedient to Him and glorifying Him, we have to understand that there is punishment for our sin. Remember when Jesus was doing His ministry, and they, they asked Him, they said, well, hey, what, what about you know, giving things to, to, to paying the things for, for Caesar? Jesus says, render the things that, to Caesar that are Caesar's. We still have laws in this country that we still have to follow. If I walk into a bank today and and I go to rob it and I get out with some money and then I get caught, what happens to me when I get caught? I go to jail. There is a punishment for my sin. So in this life, even though we are covered by the blood of Jesus if we proclaim Christ as Lord and we have that promise of eternal life with God, still in this life we are going to sin. And if we repent, if we don't repent, excuse me, there are consequences for our actions. We we are going to suffer those consequences in this life until the day God calls us home and then the resurrection of the dead happens and Christ Jesus returns. We are going to face punishment. But thank God for His grace. Thank God for His mercy every single day. We have got to submit to the authority of God's Word. When we stand in this pulpit every week, I was talking with somebody about this earlier, when we stand in this pulpit week after week and we proclaim this word, we are proclaiming the inerrant, infallible, divinely inspired word of God that was penned by men divinely inspired. And so when we open our Bibles every day and we read it, literally the words of God are being poured out to us. We are hearing God speak to us through his word and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when we see that, when we have that, we have to understand that this is the authoritative Word of God. So when I read it and I feel conviction because of my sin, that is God speaking to me through the power of His Spirit. Brian, you're sinning. Repent! The same is true for all of us. We have got to stand under the Word of God. And I'm sorry for yelling, but man, I am fired up. We've also got to note the fact that it says that they were committed together. They were committed together. There was was this commitment of coming to do this together. As the church, as God has called us here at Holmes Avenue, 4602 Duran Avenue, we as a body of believers come here and we are committed together to do the work that God has called us to. 
And so what that means is that we have got to be all in, as we've talked about many times in the past, and we've got to be committed to doing whatever God wants us to do. That doesn't mean that we can just come over here and say, I'm just going to sit here, ah, I don't really like that, I don't like the idea of that, that sounds good to me, I don't want to do that. No, it's whatever God wants. We say, fine, Lord, take it. Do it. You want me to get out of my comfort zone and go do something that I am not wanting to do? All right, Lord, I'll do it. It's hard. But God calls us to it, and we've got to do it. Thirdly, it starts with our home and our work life. And I'll, and I'll, I'll speed this up for the sake of time. It starts with our home and our work life. Verse 30 and 31 says, We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the people of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year on the exaction of every debt. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of God. You see, when they're saying in verse 30 that they will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons, the reason I said it starts with our home is because in this life today that we live, those of us that have children in the home, those of us who are grandparents that have influence on our children, we have got to be discipling our kids to understand what it means to follow Jesus. That is the calling on our lives. Parents, if you have a child in your home, you are called to disciple. Do you mess up? Yeah. Do I mess up? Of course. I thank God for His grace. But we are called to disciple our kids and to teach them the ways of the Lord, and to teach them and, and pray that God would save them. I would encourage you, even now, and you might, some of you might be saying, man, she's only four. But man, my daughter and my son, but my daughter, man, I pray for her and her future husband even today that they would come to both know Jesus. Because as we see here, when they're, when they're saying there in verse 30, see, there's a moment... Um, Mosaic prohibition of intermarriage with the peoples of the land. These are people that were worshiping other gods. We know if you go and read through Ezra 9 and 10, there's an issue happening there too. The same stuff, there's intermarriage happening with people that are worshiping other gods. These are the people of God. This is Israel. They are called to worship Yahweh. And there are other people that were worshiping other gods. And they're saying, God is saying, do not intermarry with those people because that is, that is not the same. You are not equally yoked in that regard. Deuteronomy 7, 3-4 says, You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons, or taking their daughters for your sons. That's exactly where this is coming from. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and you, and excuse me, and he would destroy you quickly. The Apostle Paul talks about this in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 6:14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? The reason it is so important that we should be discipling our children and teaching them the truth of God's Word, the reason that we should be praying for our kids and their future spouses one day, is because we want to see them come to be in a unified covenant relationship in marriage between two believers. That's what God orchestrates. That's the way He wants it. Some people might say, well, man, hey, I know Jesus. But my spouse, the person I'm about to marry, they don't know Jesus, but this is a wonderful time for me to try to evangelize them. I would highly encourage you to rethink going through with that. 
Because this is, a, this is very, very important. God's Word tells us. Pray for them. Evangelize to them. But God, God's Word tells us, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Verse 31, the Sabbath commandment was important for Israel's identity compared to the others who do not recognize God as God. And there must have been some kind of temptation to work on the Sabbath day because as we see in 31, it tells us, if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain from the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. We will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. They were doing their best to bring God glory and work away from doing that on the Sabbath day. And and folks, although we are under the new covenant because of God's sacrifice with Christ on the cross, we're not under the Old Testament law. Romans 6.14 says, For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. Since we are under grace... This question has come up to a lot in my, in my ministry time. And people say, well, wh- why are we not having an exact Sabbath day where nobody is working and doing these things, people are sinning? We have to understand because of God's grace, and we are under that grace, this day that we gather here on Sunday, this is our day of, of recognizing the Lord and worshiping Him. And this is our Sabbath. This is the day that we come to worship Him. And people might say, well... Well, Brian, what about Saturday? We should do Saturday. Well, folks, I'll tell you this. Yesterday I was off from work. I didn't work yesterday at all. I didn't have to go into work. Well, I, I did have to show up at a tailgate for a little bit for CSU, but it wasn't really work. But I was there, and, and I did my thing there. But I didn't have to, to go in, punch the clock, and work throughout my day. Now, I did go out in my yard for three hours, and I cut my yard yesterday. And I trimmed the bushes. And, man, they were way overdue. And, man, they look pretty now. But when I did that... People say, well, Brian, that's work. You're working. Well, I would say this, and I've had conversations with people about this. When I'm out there in my yard, there is something so profound about the time that I am alone. Mr. Ed, you may agree with this, but being alone with God and you're using that time to to pour into making your yard be clean and come to all that. I had a friend tell me, it's a pastor one time, he said, well, Brian, it could be that you feel that way and you you feel like it's just such a, a powerful moment between you and the Lord as you're doing that work. Because you're seeing what it is in the beginning, you're seeing what it's going through in the middle, and then you get to see the completion at the end. And it brings you joy. And in the midst of that, you you honor and glorify God. The, The whole point of what I'm getting to here is this. Each of us are busy. Each of us live crazy busy lives. I know that. The world around us is constantly running and it's constantly calling us into so many different ways. My encouragement to you would be, as much as you can... Take that time throughout your week and spend that time with God. Seek His face. Pray to Him. Fast if you need to for things. Come before God and worship Him however way you see fit for that. But because we're under the the, the grace, today would be the day that we glorify God. We're not under that law, specifically going by the book with that Mosaic law as far as the Sabbath day. I would just encourage you, if you are not resting in God, There's going to be times where you're going to get burnt out. There's going to be times where you're going to get exhausted. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Let him give you rest. Very quickly, last point. It starts with our commitment to the Lord through our church. Verse 32, we also take on ourselves the obligation to give a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. 
For the showbread, the regular grain offering, and the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people, have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring into the house of our God according to our Father's houses at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. Those of you that have notes, and if you don't, I will be glad to get this into your hands afterwards. You'll notice there at the bottom... Under this last point, I went ahead and put some of those things that are listed there, and I put some scripture references for you because I knew for the sake of time we wouldn't be able to cover all those. I would encourage you, go and look up those things as you're reading through this passage again. Follow back through it and look at those tie-ins with those references because you'll see exactly what they're pointing to. The, the, the biggest thing I want us to see, and I'll continue with 35 through 37 real quick, we obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the fruits... The first fruits of all the fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord and also to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle as it is written in the law and the firstborn of the herds and of our flocks and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil, the priests, the chambers of the house of our God and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. What is one of the words that you continually see there? It is first fruits. Now, I'm not preaching a, a sermon right now on giving. Of course, we want to bring our first fruits to God in what we receive through the work that we do, and, and we give of that. But I think this can also tie in with every aspect of our lives and our service to God in the church. We come before God and we give Him the first fruits of our energy, we give Him the first fruits of the glory that He deserves. We give him the first fruit of whatever he sees fit for us in the church. Whatever that means. If that means stepping up and teaching a Sunday school class, if that means starting a Bible study, if that means helping out with the fellowship team, if that means helping out with worship, whatever it may be, come before God and say, Lord, just as these people are all coming before you and bringing their first fruits and they are covenanting to give you all of these things, I covenant to you to give you all of me. Take my first fruits. Use me however you see fit. Lord, I repent of my disobedience if I stand back and say, I've got all this stuff going on. I'm not going to worry about that. I'll come back to it later. Lord, I repent and I ask God that you would use me as you see fit, first and foremost, right here, right now, and the other things can go back. Now, I am in no way, shape, or form saying to put your family on the back burner. I'm not saying to do that. You know what your priorities are. Your God, your family, your church. But when it comes to the church, just pray that God would use you and bring glory to Him through what He's called you to do. There's just one quick thing I just want to reference about the firstborn. It says there um, in 35 and 36, it's talking about bringing the firstborn of the animals and of the children. And we've got to remember that God called them to consecrate their firstborn children and animals to the Lord. The book of Exodus tells us in, in chapter 13, 11 through 13, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites as he swore to you and your fathers and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all the first open the womb. All the firstborn of your animals and our males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of the donkey you shall redeem with a lamb or you will not redeem it. It, will, it should break its neck. Every firstborn of man among you, your sons, you shall redeem. You see, with the Passover... It was the sacrifice 
of the Lamb so that the children would be redeemed. What is the picture of that? Who is the sacrificial Lamb? It's Jesus. You see, here in this Old Testament passage, we have all of these things, and, and it's, it's powerful stuff, and we're reading about all these things and, and how they're coming before, and they're giving all the first fruits to God and all of these things. And I think it's just so beautiful that God, even in that, he references the fact of the firstborn's children being redeemed. It's because of the sacrifice of the Lamb. And for each and every one of us who have been saved by the blood of Jesus, the sacrificial Lamb, we have the promise of eternal life with Christ Jesus our Lord for eternity. It's incredible stuff. 39 at the end says, For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. Listen to the last part. We will not neglect the house of our God. We will not neglect the house of our God. I know that this isn't a temple. I know this is not where God resides as He did in the Old Testament with the temple. However, the Spirit of God dwells inside of us. And when we gather into this place, week after week, Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, we have different events. The church comes together. You see, we can put a church name on this building and on this property. It'll show up in the phone book. It'll show up online. But you see, when the people leave this building the church isn't here. We are the church. But when we are here, God has called us to take care of what he's given us. So I just want to add that and just say, God has blessed us with so much here. He's called us to take care of what he's blessed us with so that it can be used for months, weeks, years to come so that 4602 Durant Avenue the people of Park Circle can come and know that Christ Jesus is Lord. So I would encourage you, if you, if you and, and band, you can come forward, if you call Holmes Avenue home, maybe you've been attending for a while and, and you've, you've thought about joining the, the body of believers here, I would encourage you if, you, if you do want to do that, come speak to Pastor Troy or I. I'm going to ask him to be up here with me too. But if, if God is calling you to that, come and we'll, we'll explain to you and go through the process of letting you come and, and be a member of this church so that you can partner with us on this mission that God has called us to. But before you even get to that point, there may be somebody in this room that doesn't even know what it means to be a part of a church because you don't know who Jesus is. And I pray, I pray that if you feel something is drawing you near, that is, that is God drawing near and saying, come. I would love to be able to talk with you about what it means to know Christ Jesus as Lord. Pastor Troy would, any of our deacons, any of our leaders. The band's going to sing this last song, and I think it's just so fitting when we look at the passage today and what these people covenanted to do. They covenanted to surrender to God. And this part wasn't planned. But the song we're going to sing is, I Surrender All. So my prayer for you is to, to stop and reflect and say, God, I love you. 
I love the church. I'm a part of this church. But maybe I haven't been surrendering all in all areas that I need to be. If that's the case, give it to God. If you need to pray, we'll pray with you. We'll talk with you. If there's anything you need, come forward. I'm going to let the band pray after I, play after I pray, and then we'll move forward. Father God, as the band's about to play this song, Lord, I just pray, God, that you would be glorified here in this place. Lord, I pray that for all of us here that are in Christ, Lord, that we truly have surrendered all. Not just the moment that we came to know you, but Lord, as we're continually going in this life, that we would surrender everything as you tell us in your word to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow you. Be glorified here in this place, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.